Good morning. Uh, my name is Joe Johnson. If I haven't met you, I am um, the RUF campus minister at Birmingham Southern, which is our denomination's campus ministry, and I'm assigned to that campus. And my wife and family and I go here and love this church and love you. And um, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. I'll be kind of up here afterward, whether you're new and have questions or, um, or you're old here. And uh, I haven't met you yet. I would, I would love to meet you. Um, so we are in a Sunday in between series. Uh, we just finished our Advent series last week. We're picking back up in Romans, and we'll kind of finish Romans uh, fairly quickly after that. But this is sort of an open Sunday, and I uh, kind of can look at whatever we want to look at this morning. And one of the things I've noticed over the past couple of years is it's a common um, practice in some churches to look at Psalm 1 at the beginning of the year, the first Sunday of the year. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Look at the first psalm. It's only six verses in total, very short. And it's very appropriate to look at it at the beginning of a new year because Psalm 1 is a psalm of reorientation. It calls us to orient our life around the thing that matters most. And that's kind of how most of the psalms function. It's the songbook of God's people, but it's not like it's the songbook that we put together that we wanted to remember, and so we wrote it down and kept it. But the Psalms are God's songs that he wants his people to sing. The the words that he wants on our lips, the prayers that he wants us to pray. And so it's an interesting question to ask, what kind of songs does God want us to sing? And a lot of people call Psalm 1 the entranceway to the book of Psalms, not just because it's the first one, but because it acts like the front porch. It gives us sort of the theme throughout the Psalter. Because it's a song about God's people and the blessed life. What does it mean to sing about living the blessed life as God's people? I think that's a good way to start the new year. So, if you have your bulletins in hand or your Bibles, Psalm 1, starting at verse 1. Before we read it, let me pray and ask for God's help. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for this morning as we look at your word and we see this song. Let our souls sing it. And let us sing a new song this year. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 1, starting at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I love New Year's resolutions, um, which may be surprising if you know me. I could be more of a cynical type person and um, not super goal oriented, but I do love New Year's resolutions. Um, My wife and I have no less than ten. Uh, for the next year, and none of them are very impressive. They're all really just about living the normal adult life uh, in a somewhat healthy way. So we're just trying to be healthy adults for this new year. Um, and I love New Year's resolutions, even though I know they're not going to happen. Like, if we bat like 200 this year, like 20%, I'd be great for what we're doing. But I love New Year's resolutions, I think, because they make me feel like I'm in more control of the coming year than I actually am. Like, if I talk about working out, maybe I'll actually work out, right? But I like talking about it more than doing it. If I talk about eating healthy, maybe I'll actually eat healthy. Um, 
And so I love kind of forming these plans every year, even though they kind of blow up in our face. Because I like feeling like I have more control. Because only one thing can be said about 2020 for all of us is that in this coming year, both bad and good things will happen to every single person in this room, right? It's just kind of another way of saying things will happen. Everyone in this room will experience both joy and sorrow, great things and devastating things for this next year. And there's nothing we can do about that. They're coming. For people in this room, we might get, uh, this is the year that we get the job we've been waiting for. Or uh, we, we experience maybe financial freedom for the first time. Uh, we get married this year, or we have kids this year. Or we're just more content with where God has us this year than we've ever felt. Out of a season of depression. There's some great things coming this year that we need to celebrate as a congregation. It's going to be awesome. But then for everyone in this room, hard things are going to happen too. Uh, we're going to lose loved ones. We're going to have miscarriages. We're going to enter into depression. Um, we're going to uh, 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 not like our job and experience financial pressure. Um, we're going to go through an election that's going to be stressful. Uh, this church is going to go through a lot of changes. We might get our new senior pastor this year. Good and bad things are coming. And there's nothing we can do about it. And so the question that we need to ask is, in a world that we cannot control, how in the world are we supposed to live a happy, contented, joyful life. And that's actually the question that Psalm 1 answers. Because it tells us what the blessed life is. And that word blessed, the psalmist begins with, the meaning really is happy. Happy regardless of circumstances. What does that blessed life look like? And he gives us the answer. So here's the whole sermon in one sentence. That the blessed life, the psalmist tells us, is the life of following the voice of God. In all seasons. The blessed life is following the voice of God in all seasons. Another way to say that? To love God's word. And so, as we walk through this text, what does it mean to follow the voice of God? It means three things. and We're going to split up the the text into verses of two. But it means to love God's word, to root ourselves in God's word, and to rest in God's word. To love it, to root in it, and to rest in it. And that gives us a taste of what the blessed life is. So first, we're to love God's word. The psalm begins in verse 1, blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Joyful is the man. Contented is the man. It's how the whole Psalter begins, and it kind of grabs our attention. All of us want that. All of us want the good life. All of us want the blessed life. And so we need to ask, what is it? And the psalmist presents it in a series of contrasts. Contrasting the blessed man versus the wicked man. Right? There's two paths ahead, and these two paths actually go throughout all of the Psalter, but it begins in Psalm 1. It first tells us what this blessed man is not like, what he doesn't do. In a series of three statements in a row, this blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. At first, that sounds like the same thing three times in a row, right? Like We kind of get it. The blessed man does not have friends of less than reputable character. But it's not exactly what it's saying. And it's not the same thing three times in a row. As one commentator says, these are three steps away from God and three steps into the world. In other words, three steps away from God's voice. And they get more intense and more sinister and deeper. Because look at it again. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This is talking about our thinking. That the world has affected the way that we think, that we give ear to the world. And the world tells us what beauty is. And that the world will tell us what success is. The world will tell us what comfort is. The world will tell us what we're supposed to be. We give ear to that counsel and it begins to change the way we think about our life. 
We think about our money. We think about our family. But it doesn't stop with just thinking. We don't just give our mind to the world. We give our behavior to the world. The second line, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Becoming like them. Looking like them. Acting like them. Using the things of our life, like our money, our house, our family, whatever else, to a world's end. Our thinking affects our doing, but it doesn't end with just doing things like the world. It ends in the most sinister way it possibly can. Because the third step is a sense of belonging. To sit in the seat of scoffers. To have a seat at the world's table. A scoffer, another translation could be a cynic. Like someone who takes joy in nothing. Hope in nothing. Uh, the only pleasure that he may get is to undercut any other kind of hope or good thing in the world, kind of like our public discourse now in our country. The end goal of following the voice of the world is to have a seat at the table of scoffers, to become like them, to belong. And that actually gives us a clue on why we would follow the voice of the world. Why would we like, give our ear to the counsel of the wicked? Why would we do something like that when it's so obvious that it's wrong? Well, I think it's that third step that all of us want to belong. All of us are terrified of being left out of what C.S. Lewis calls the inner ring. The table that we want to sit at, the people that we want to belong to, and we're terrified of being left out in the cold. If we're going to be in the world, we want to be victors in the world, and we want to sit at the table. But the psalmist is telling us when we follow those voices, we sit at the table of nothing more than scoffers, and there's no hope, and there's no joy. And there's no blessedness. But it invites us to ask the question, whose voice do we listen to? What kind of voice do we give ear to? Where do we get our definition of beauty and success? In what ways are we listening to the world over God's word? But the psalmist gives us another way. Another voice. And what does the blessed man do? Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And that might have taken a turn that you weren't ready for, that I wasn't ready for, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. I mean, like, delight in, like, grace. Delight in, like, the freedom that we get in God, right? Delight in all sorts of great things that might come our way. But this man's delight is in the law of God. And that's a little ambiguous. We don't exactly know what he's talking about. He, he might be talking about the Ten Commandments. He might be talking about the Levitical Law. Or he might be just talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, his Old Testament. Which does have a lot of law, but also narrative and poetry. Whatever it is, the literal translation here is he delights in the instruction from God. Delights in it. His heart is illuminated by it and he gives himself to it. He meditates on it day and night. And that question is why? Why in the Psalter are there three love songs, three wisdom songs? Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. And you know what they're all love songs about? The law of God. That it's sweeter than honey. That it's more pure than fine gold. Why does this man delight in the law of God and the instruction of God? Because he sees this. And it's a secret to the way of blessedness. That the way of God is better than the way of the world. The way of God. His blessedness is better than anything at the table of scoffers. That God's instruction for our life is the thing that our souls yearn for. And this might be kind of a crude way to say it. I couldn't figure out another way to say this, but it's like, if we want to know what life's about, shouldn't we go to the expert? (laughs) The one who created life? If we really want to know what blessedness and happiness is, shouldn't we go to the one who invented happiness? 
that His Word really is pure gold. It's better than money. It's better than the way of the world. It's better to belong, than belonging to the world. It's better than winning. It's His Word that we need. I, I hope I'm not in the same... I think, I think a lot of people are going to be like this, but there was a long period of time in my life where I thought my dad was the dumbest person in the world. Right? Like, there was a long... And my kids are going to go through this. My four-year-old's kind of going through this already, right? Like, that I, he didn't get it. He didn't get me. He, he's just an accountant. Like, he didn't know the real world, right? Like, like and, and his advice I never took. And, and then as I've gotten older, I'm only 30 now, but like, as I've gotten older, I love my dad's advice. Because at some point it started clicking, like, I think my dad is smart. Like, he's got some mileage behind him. He's been through this before. And now I call my dad, not in an unhealthy way, but I really do call my dad a lot and ask for advice. And my, I just love when he picks up the phone and I hear that voice. It's just comforting because I know he wants to listen. I know he's in. And, and he gives me all sorts of advice. Sometimes he makes fun of me. Like, sometimes he, 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 uh, he um, criticizes me. Sometimes he gives me encouragement. Sometimes he says, I don't know, but I'm with you. Let's figure this out. Sometimes he tells me exactly what to do. But all of his advice, all of his word, his fatherly word to his son, all of it is couched in, I love you. And I want what's best for you, and I'm with you. Right? Like, and that's a sinful kind of like father who has failed. How much more so is the fatherly wisdom of our heavenly father pure gold to our souls? And that his way is better than the way of the world. Well, there's all kinds of things in the Bible that are hard. There's rebuke. There's law, there's crazy narrative that we don't know what to do with. But all of it is couched in a Heavenly Father's love for His children because it's the way He reveals Himself to us. We are called to love His Word. And I hope this is the year, 2020 is the year you fall more in love with the Bible. Not in some way of like, you have a new Bible reading plan and you want to check it all off. Don't do that. Because either you're going to crush it and become more prideful or you're going to fail at it and you're going to become more shameful. Both those things are equally bad. But what if we were to give ourselves to God's word because we just want to know our dad more, our father more, and learn that his way really is better. We're to love his word. That's what the blessed man does. But then secondly, not just to love his word, we're to root in it. All these points are kind of the same thing. We're just going to go deeper into this together. So we're not just to love God's word, to see it for what it is, but we are to root ourselves in it. Next two verses, verse 3 and 4, are not what the blessed man does, but what the blessed man looks like. And there's two pictures, one for the blessed man and one for the wicked man. One of a tree and one of chaff. And the blessed man is like a tree, verse 3, who's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The picture is that of a tree, which isn't the most exciting picture in the world, you know what I mean? Like, the desire to be like a tree. But I wonder as if you would see like the older we get, the, the crazier life gets, the more times you find yourself in an unexpected path or news comes or the unpredictability of life, that all of a sudden the stability of a strong tree sounds pretty good. And what the blessed man life looked like is a tree planted by streams of water, planted in the right place, rooted in good soil. And it produces its fruit in its season, its leaves do not wither. In other words, it's doing what a tree is supposed to do. It's being a tree. And it's growing, and it's being nourished. 
And it's in the right place, planted by a stream of water. Isn't it interesting that God's law here is being compared to a stream of water? The next song we're going to sing after this is Streams of Living Water Flow, which is one of my favorite songs that we sing. But God's law is not being compared to this this millstone around your neck, this, this busy work, this legalistic thing, that God's word is like nourishment to a tree that desperately needs it. Nourishing to the ability that the tree can root itself in good soil. Because this tree is not immune to winter. I love that it says it, it, it yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, meaning it's not immune to winter or harsh seasons. It's not immune to drought. It's not immune to the scorching sun. It will go through hard times. But the way that it produces its fruit in its season and the reason why it remains stable is because it's rooted in the right thing. And that's what God's Word does to us. It roots us in the right thing. In the story of what God has done for His people. And the story that we are made in His image, and we were made to dwell with Him forever, but because of our sin, we were separated from Him, yet God took on flesh to come and to rescue His people. And to bring us nigh to Him. And that one day Jesus will come back and make this world perfect, with no sin, no death, all of that over, and His people will dwell with Him forever. The Bible re-narrates our story to remind us what's really true, and it roots us into His promises. Uh, this past December, we had... Um, campus minister training. And one of my friends, a guy named John Trapp, who's um, campus minister at University of Texas at Austin. So he's a tough life of living in Austin, Texas. And he told me a story. Um, sometimes campus ministers can get together and complain a lot. So we were saying some good things um, uh, about what God has done in our lives and our families. And he told me about a parenting win that he had. His one parenting win this year. He has five kids. And um, it was his seven-year-old and uh, he said, I didn't know this, but when his seven-year-old was born, he was born prematurely. I don't know how premature, I can't remember, but enough that um, they had to spend a few weeks in the hospital. And because it was so premature, they were actually traveling. And so they weren't at home in a big city hospital. They were actually kind of in the middle of nowhere, so they had to go to sort of a regional hospital, uh, which the hospital did a great job, but it's not exactly where you want to be if your child's born prematurely. So they were stuck in this place. They didn't belong. and really scary. Everything worked out fine. But while they were in the hospital, his wife uh, and him talked about that they want to tell this story to their son. That they want their son to know that he was born in very scary circumstances, but that he was a brave boy. That's the, that's the story they wanted, that you're a brave boy. Remember what happened. And so they did. They told their son as he grew up this story and kept telling him that he was a brave boy. And even when he wasn't a brave boy, even when he was terrified and as a child, as we all were, they would tell him, you're a brave boy. Remember what happened. Now his son's seven, he started second grade, and they did on the first day of school one of those get-to-know-you forms, you know what I'm saying, like, where, like you, you hang on the wall so your class can get to know you, and it's that, hey, my name is like Thomas Trapp, and I am, uh, my favorite color is blue, my favorite food is cookies or whatever, and um, then it said, uh, and when I grow up, I want to be, and he said, an astronaut, and then it said, why, and the son wrote, because my dad told me I'm a brave boy. And that was, that was John's big parenting win for the year. Because his son heard the story that his father told him over and over and over and over again. And at some point, he began to believe that story. And at another point, he began to live that story. The son believed his father's story. Here's what the Bible doesn't tell you. The Bible does not tell you you're a brave boy and a brave girl. The Bible doesn't tell you that you're awesome. 
The Bible doesn't tell you that everything's going to be okay because of who you are. Here's what the Bible tells you. That in Jesus, you are a beloved son and a beloved daughter of a heavenly father. And that love can never go away. That in Jesus, all your sins and shame are washed away. Remember no more because of the blood of the Savior. That in Jesus, you are clothed in kingly garments that you don't deserve. But you're treated as such because of the righteousness of Jesus. That you are not what this world tells you you are. You are what King Jesus tells you you are. And what does he call his church? His bride. The Bible roots us in the true story of who God's people are and what God's people have done. And it roots us into good soil. Because the other option is chaff. I had to look it up. I had no idea what chaff was. But when grain is harvested, it's like the husk that flakes off. That's good for nothing, that's weightless, that's blown away in the afternoon breeze. And all of us know what it feels like to be chaff. To have our identity and worthiness rooted in something that can go away in an instant. That, that like our lovability and beauty is found in numbers on a scale. That we let those numbers determine what's true about us. That's chaff in the wind. Or I'll be vulnerable too. <laughs> Wednesday nights during the semester, do you know what my worth as a pastor becomes? How many 18 to 22 year olds decide to show up to a large group Bible study? Chaff in the wind. Or success, or, or money in our bank account, or the way our family comes across, or what our children do, or how we do in Little League or travel ball that year. Like chaff in the It's not the way we were made to be. But there's promises of God that we can root ourselves in that make us as strong as a tree that can endure winter and depression and the hard things that may come of this year. What are you rooted in? What are we rooted in? Is it the promises of God? Is it in His Word? Is it in His power? So to love His Word, to root ourselves in it, to meditate on His Word, to love it. But then finally to rest in His Word and to rest in His final Word. Because the last two verses are about the end, judgment. And these two paths, these two men that we've been following, the wicked and the blessed, they're going in two different places. Their endings are completely different. Look at verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, The wicked man in the end is destroyed. His end is destruction. And the question what I want to ask is why. Like we, we know like sin leads to death, right? That's what sin deserves. But why does the wicked man get destroyed but the, the blessed man doesn't? Is it because the wicked are worse than us? Is it because we're just better? That can't be the answer. Why is he met with destruction when God's people aren't? Well, I think the answer is that he doesn't have an advocate. But on judgment day, before the throne room of judgment, he has no one who will stand with him. That the literal translation here is he doesn't have a leg to stand on in judgment. No one is with him. And all he takes before him is his sin. And what does sin get? It gets the wrath and destruction of God rightly. But all of us deserve that. But what is the promise to God's people? And it's found in verse 6. And this is so sweet and so good. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And the way that comes out in English, it kind of sounds like the Lord knows that you've done good things. Kind of like a Santa Claus, like keeping tabs on you. That's not what it's actually saying. 
Because that word for know, that the Lord knows you, that Hebrew word is the strongest, most intimate form of knowledge. They could have used another word. But they use the word that's used for marital intimacy. That no one knows you like this, other than the one that loves you the most. And what this promise is in verse 6 is that the Lord knows his people. He knows your comings and your goings. He knows your fears and your failures and your sin. He knows the true you. He knows your hearts. And it's this God who came into this world to stand with his people, to unite himself with his people, to become one with his people, that they may have an advocate in judgment to say they are spoken for and clothed in my righteousness. Because you see, blessed is the man. That blessedness, that's not earned. Blessedness is given. It doesn't say victory is the man. It doesn't say awesome is the man. It says blessed is the man who's been given a righteousness that is not his own, who's been given a Savior he does not deserve. Because Jesus is the only one who's actually fulfilled Psalm 1. He's the only one who actually deserves blessing. And yet, because he stands in our place, he gives us what he deserves. We get his blessing. And so what this psalm is calling us to do is to rest in God's power for his people. That we are known and we are loved by a Savior and loved perfectly. The psalmist is getting us to remember the one who loved us into the kingdom. I wonder if you saw um, the Mr. Rogers documentary or the movie. I actually haven't seen either one. I really wanted to see both. Um, I loved Mr. Rogers as a kid. I've seen two things that Mr. Rogers has done other than his TV show. One was his speech in front of Congress um, to save public broadcast. Have you all seen that? It's amazing. Go watch that. So, 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 uh, such an example of humility and, and, and passion and desire is amazing. Uh, but the second thing I've seen is a speech that he gave at Middlebury College in Vermont in 2001. And he gave a very similar speech to Dartmouth in um, 2002. And he was speaking to graduating seniors at a commencement address. And, and one of the things he was getting across is that you didn't get here on your own. That you were helped. You can't do something as great as graduate from college on your own. You were helped along the way. And so he was calling the uh, students to remember who helped you. Who made you become who you are. And remember them and thank them. And, and he says it. I'm going to butcher it. So I'm just going to read his words. And he said this. All of you. Every one of you. From the time that you were very little, you had people that smiled you into smiling, and people who talked you into talking, and people who sung you into singing, and people who loved you into loving. Now, there's not a greater description of the Psalms than that. They teach us to sing and to love. They teach us to rest and to pray. And at least this Psalm reminds us of the one who did love us into the kingdom of heaven who did bring us home to a heavenly Father and call us to rest in His Word and not our own. May this year be the year we fall more in love with God by falling more in love with His Word and rooting ourselves deeper and deeper into His promises and find true rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. And we pray, Lord, that we root our hearts deep in its truth. Uh, Lord, that we are people of the Word who read how much you love your people and what you've done, that we give ourselves over to your instruction, not in some legalistic way, but because you loved us first. 
And so, Lord, give us a desire to dwell with you, to hear from you, to follow your voice through all seasons of life. See that your word is much finer than pure gold and sweeter than honey. And as we come to the table, let us see that we're going in both word and sacrament. Your promises displayed before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.